Lord Jesus, I want to pray that as we, as we endeavor to dig up in your word, Lord God, to, to immerse ourselves in the revelation of who you are, Lord God, that today, Lord God, you would become real to us. Father, I'm praying, Lord God, that every person here would have an encounter with you, Lord. I'm asking that the words I speak would be more than my words. They would be your words penetrating to the deepest parts of everyone's soul, Lord God. I'm asking, Lord God, that today we would see you more clearly. We would know you more exactly, and we would feel the power of your presence leading us to greater righteousness, effectiveness, glory in this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So we are beginning a new series today called Louder Than the Stones. Because that's what our worship is going to be. If you remember, Jesus, in coming into Jerusalem, he was, he was confronted by the religious folk and they said to, said to him, why are all your followers worshiping you like this? Stop them. And he made the statement, he said, if they don't worship, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Why? Because all of creation is designed to worship the living God. When Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, the people, people were sensing the, the, the cry of creation to worship their God. And we are saying in this series that we don't, we don't want to have the stones have to step into our place. We, we're saying we, we want to we want to have the, the voice of praise and adoration for our King resounding from our midst, resounding from our lives in a way that puts any stones to shame. So, to, so we are going to talk about worship that is louder than the stones. There is a, a beautiful interaction that Jesus had with a particular woman. It was a Samaritan woman. She was, she would have been an outcast from Jewish society. He, he was traveling through Samaria and he was at a particular well. It was midday when, when no one came to the well. And this woman clearly uh, was coming at a time when she was avoiding crowds. We don't exactly know why, but it, it seeing as she had five husbands and was living with another man, you know, there's, there's probably some indication that, that her lifestyle or her integration in the community had been suspect. That she, she, as a Samaritan, would have had very poor theology. They only used five of the books of the Old Testament, and they claimed to worship Yahweh, but they, they worshiped him in a strange and unusual way. So, so I know you all have great theology, but I, but I would love you to think of this, this woman as you. As, as a person who, you know, is just struggling to assimilate life. I know you, sorry, you're not struggling. I know you're not struggling. You are assimilating life well. But you know, she was, she was an ordinary person. She was just an everyday person trying to, trying to work out what her culture was saying, trying to work out what the right thing was in worshiping Jesus, trying to, trying to just get, get her life together. And she's coming out, and she encounters this man who asks her for water. You know the story. And he says to her, if you drink from this well, you know, you'll be thirsty again, but I can give you water that will last forever, that you will never thirst again. And she's saying, yes, I want that water. And then he tells her to go and bring her husband, and uh, Jesus, obviously knowing that her lifestyle is uh, a 
not as it should be, is kind of probing or asking her questions that will bring her to the revelation of the need she has for a Messiah. And she cr correctly answers, no, you know, I've, I've had so many husbands and the man I'm, not, I'm living with now is not my husband. And, and then, you know, it, she, she does an interesting about turn. Because right as Jesus is delving into her private issues, her private chaos, she turns to him and asks him a religious question. I'm not sure if you've ever done this, but, it, but when, when God kind of like starts putting his eye on issues in your life, suddenly, you know, you, you want to know the detail of, of why Psalm 23 begins with that verse, that particular word. It's like, it's like you kind of jump out of the personal to the abstract because it's getting too close to her. And she does this, and she asks him, you know what, we Samaritans, we, we worship God from this mountain. You Jews worship from Jerusalem. What is the correct way? And Jesus' response gives us the most profound understanding of worship. Perhaps the foundational doctrines that help us to understand what worship really is. He said to her, Jesus said to her, woman, John 4 from verse 21, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I want to talk to you today about real worship. R-E-A-L, worship. Real worship. Worship that is real, that's exclusive, that's aware, and that's living. Worship in spirit and truth. Real worship. Lord Jesus, as I share this, I've prayed already, but I want to pray again that, that your grace would be upon us, Lord God. We want to be worshipers that please the Father. We want to be worship, worshipers that, that are worshiping from a place of intimacy and truth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So he starts off in the second verse there. He says to her, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. The first point about true worship, real worship, worship that, that pleases the Father, worship that is effective, is that worship must be between the real God and the real you. You know, here she was, a Samaritan, they had built up their own picture of who God was. They had kind of molded God into their own image and were worshiping a God that did not exist. Their view of God, the, the God that they thought of as God, does not exist. I want to propose this to you, that there are some Christians, not you, I know, but perhaps thousands across the globe, that are worshiping a God that does not exist. They have created a picture of who God is, and they are, they are giving all their adoration and their allegiance to this God, but that God does not exist. Have you ever, 
Have you ever received a gift that indicated to you that the person giving you the gift had no idea who you were? You know that gift that went straight in the cupboard and was given out at the next birthday to someone else? You know, just same packaging, bam, because, you know, it just, it, it clearly indicated that that person didn't know you at all. Perhaps you're an Arsenal supporter and they gave you a Liverpool jersey, you know, it's like, please, come on. You're a bull supporter and they give you, gave you a Sharks paraphernalia. It's like, like, come on. Have you not been listening to our conversations? Don't you know me? And I feel like there is a place where, where Christians can be giving worship to a God that, that is totally missing the mark. And his, his conversation with us goes something like, have you not been listening to what I'm saying? Do you not know who I am? You see, for worship to be real, it must be to the real God. You know, I think the tragedy of this phenomenon is not only that sometimes we are worshiping a God who does not exist, but, but I feel that sometimes we're presenting to the world a God who does not exist. And the world is rejecting this God that we are proclaiming, not, not because there's something wrong with him, but there's something wrong with the way we're representing him. Because as has been famously said, said, everyone wants a king like Jesus. If people could just see who he really is, they would fall down in abject worship, just crying out, Lord God, we want you. Because God is so majestic, so glorious, so wonderful, that every heart within creation is designed to worship him. When you see him for what he is, you have no choice. You have no, nothing else matters but to worship. But to worship. If you are not awestruck by God's beauty, overwhelmed with gratitude at his goodness, and trembling in reverence at his holiness, there's more to know. There's more to know. And if we want to be a church that worships in spirit and truth, our goal needs to be this, to press in to know God as he really is. To push past the religious, cultural ideas that have been thrown at us over the years, the, the, the ideas we grew up with, the ideas we learned that somehow are contrary to the God of the Bible, pushing past those to know the God who truly is. The God who truly, the God for whom the stones themselves worship. All of creation sings his praises. I said that not only must, must worship in spirit and truth be between the real God, it must be also between the real God and between the real you. God is not interested in fellowshipping with your facade. He's not interested in fellowshipping with the image you portray to the world. He's interested in you. He's interested in the image of Christ in you. He's interested in the real you. What does that mean? It means that when we come to worship, when we come to worship, we are, we are engaging with the God of creation, but we are engaging rightly and truly from a place of authenticity. God, I'm not coming in here and worshiping in a way that will impress the people around me. I'm not trying to, to, to be one of the crowd. I'm trying to be real. I'm coming to you with all I am, my fears, my insecurities, 
admissions of my failures, my joys, my expectations. Lord God, here I am. And I unveil myself. I, I take away the facades and I say, God, you and me face to face. What, what doesn't look good to you, burn away. What, what is most meant to be strengthened. Lord God, I want an encounter with you. For worship to be true, it must be, to be between the real God and the real you. You know, I love the fact that Jesus, while he hung on the cross, he did something profound. At the time of his greatest torment, at the time of his greatest torment, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In that time of heartache, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you see the raw reality, the authenticity of Jesus at a place when he was, could have been most tempted to present a facade, to be something he wasn't? He refused point blank, blank to close his heart. He kept his heart open, vulnerable, real, open to his Father. God, these are my fears. These are my insecurities. This, I, I refuse to be angry or bitter at the people who have brought me to this place. Lord God, forgive them. Father, Father, this is how I'm feeling. Jesus Christ refused to be anything but who he was. As we worship God, the real God, we come as our real selves. My phone has lost the, has lost the slide. Sorry guys, I'm just transferring to the desk. Our great sound people who, who you can't see behind there, but they are remarkably handsome. So worship must be real, but worship must be exclusive. Have you ever asked yourself this question? God, why do you demand exclusive worship? Unbelievers out there, people, non-Christians ask it all the time. Who is this God that demands that everything should worship him? Who is this God who's, who so, so needs the praise of, of men? Is he insecure? Does he have a huge ego? Why does he demand that everything would worship him? Have you ever asked that question? Is God an egomaniac? Why? Why does he demand exclusive worship? If you look at the Old Testament, from the beginning to the end, he is, he is disciplining Israel about their idolatry. Don't worship those other gods. Don't worship those idols. Don't worship those figments of your imagination. Worship me. It's a never-ending litany of God saying, come on. I demand exclusive worship. Come and give your worship to me. So what is this about God? Because I want to guarantee you this. Your worship doesn't change God. God, unlike what I have just portrayed to you, God is not sitting there, oh my gosh, I, I need my ego stroked. Please come and worship me. God is who he is. God is God. God is above all. Whether you worship him or not, he's still ruler of the universe. Whether you worship him or not, he still is who he is. It's not changing him. It's not influencing him. God doesn't need your worship. You need your worship. So why does God demand exclusive worship? Well, there are two reasons. God demands exclusive worship because to worship anything but Yahweh is to diminish yourself. 
To worship anything other than Yahweh is to diminish yourself. You see, worship is not just adoration. Of course, it's adoration. It's also value. So in other words, the things you worship are the things you are placing above yourself. The things you worship are the things you are ascribing greater value to. Human beings were created as the pinnacle of God's creation. We carry his image. We are the stewards of this creation. We are the ones that carry the authority of Christ, the authority of Yahweh on this earth. Therefore, all things must be subject to our authority. And therefore, if we take anything other than Yahweh and worship that, we are diminishing ourselves below that thing. God demands exclusive worship because there is nothing else in this universe worthy of your worship. Who you are means that there is only one thing that you can worship. There's only one thing that is above you, and that is Yahweh himself. To worship anything other than Yahweh is to diminish yourself. And God is that good that he refused to allow the pinnacle of his creation to be diminished, devalued in that way. The second reason is that to worship anything but Yahweh is to elevate that thing to a place of failure. Because worship is not just adoration and not just value. Worship is a symbiotic relationship whereby as I worship that thing, I place myself under the security, the protection, and the authority of that thing. Therefore, there is a, a relationship where I worship, and from that worshiping relationship, I receive something. I receive comfort. I receive security. I receive provision out of that worshiping relationship. There is nothing in all of creation that can provide for you like God can provide for you. You place your, your work as an object of worship, and it will fail you. You place your spouse as an object of worship and him or her will fail you. You place your friend, your career, anything. <laughs> Husbands, please don't say amen to that too loudly. Because we've got marriage councils outside, they will help you. But you place anything, anything as your object of worship and it will fail you. God demands... Uh, exclusive worship because there is only one thing worthy of our worship, and that is him. And there is only one thing that can provide for us in that worship relationship, and that is him. Everything else will disappoint. To worship anything but Yahweh is to elevate that thing to a place of failure. So worship in spirit and truth must be real, it must be exclusive, and the A, it must be aware aware. He said this to the Samaritan woman. He said, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit? You know, when I was preparing this word, it was easy for me to work out how to worship in truth. You know, truth is kind of explained, but to worship in spirit, what does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit? But this gives us a clue. He was saying that they, 
you worship, it, it was immaterial whether they worshiped on that mountain or another mountain. That, that worship wasn't about the rituals and the external form. Worship was about a heart connection. Worship was about the fact that God is spirit. What does that mean? That his presence is all around us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That, that he's here. He's at your work. He's in the space between you and your, and your friend. He's in the space between you and your boss. He fills everything. He is in you. The spirit of God is everywhere. And to worship him in spirit means to be aware of that presence. It means to be aware of his presence with you. When you come in here to our corporate worship, it means instead of thinking about what the right thing is to do, it's to turn your attention to his presence and from a response to you experiencing, experiencing that presence is to worship him. Is to be aware and in response to that awareness is to offer praise, adoration, and give him value, ascribe value. To worship him in spirit means to be aware of his presence. It means, it means that when you, you're sitting in that lecture theater, when you're at work and you're feeling overwhelmed, you become aware of his presence. You allow him to fill you with his wisdom. And you respond in that situation with the wisdom of God. That's what it means to worship. Worship means that you, when you're sitting at home in front of that computer screen and there's no one around and the temptation to go and view some pornography starts to just rise up in your heart, you become aware of his presence. You become aware of his presence. And you receive from him self-control. You receive from him a vision of what your life could be in righteousness. And you respond in kind. That's worship. Worship is when you're with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you're tempted to go too far and you immediately become aware of his presence. You receive from him the ability to live righteously. And you respond from that. Worship is when you've been watching the news and you've had some bad news about your financial situation and you relationships aren't going well and you're feeling the disappointment of expectations unmet. You become aware of his presence. And you receive his hope and a picture of a future filled with good things fills your mind and you respond appropriately. You become aware of his presence. This is what it means to worship in spirit. It means we're aware of him and we respond appropriately. God is spirit, therefore his loving, empowering, and holy presence is always with us. To worship is to center one's attention on him and to respond to his closeness with praise and trusting obedience. Last of all is that worship in spirit and truth is living worship. Jesus 
said, we've read this, I think this is about three times, but I'm going to read it again and just bring something different out of it. John 4, 21 and 23, speaking to the Samaritan woman, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Twice he said, there is something coming. And then the second time he said, and in fact, it's here. Talking about himself. The hour is coming. In other words, before that hour, true worship was not possible. In other words, he's saying, there is a, there is a time coming that it was, will manifest in me, through me, when people will be able to truly worship me. Everything up to this point has been a shadow of what can be. Now, from the time that you encounter me, is the, from the time when you can truly worship. Worship is when God takes a dead life and he makes it alive again through Jesus Christ. And out of that life we can worship. Dead people can't worship. They can't know him. They can't be in relationship with him. You cannot worship until you've encountered the living Christ. Worship is not worship until it is coming from a regenerated soul. From someone who was who laying before God and said, I need you, come and change me. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I submit all of my life to you. Lord, make me new. And in that moment, the capacity to worship is opened up in your soul. From that moment, we can worship in spirit and truth. Worship, true worship, is between the real God and the real you. It is exclusive to him because he is the only one worthy of our worship. To do anything else would be to diminish ourselves. Worship, true worship, is awareness of his presence and it comes in response to that presence that has been poured out through Jesus Christ. The veil has been torn. God has invaded this world. He's invaded your world. And true worship is living. It comes from a vibrant, alive, day-to-day relationship with the living God who has manifested to you through Jesus Christ and made you alive when you were dead. So, Lord Jesus, we come now and we want to worship you. Lord God, we want to give you praise. I am going to ask Someone, where is that you at the back in, your, in the gray hoodie? No. Can you, sorry, I can't tell who you are with your mask on. Can you please go and ask the worship team if they could come and be ready for us? Sean Luke, thank you. They're down here on the driveway, thank you. So I would love us to just take a moment and turn our attention and our awareness to the living God. Thank you, Father. Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth means to turn our attention to the living God. And Lord God, we do, we turn our attention to the living God, that you're real, that you're with us, that you're here. Lord God, we're not coming with pretense, we're not coming 
We're not coming with forms and rituals, Lord God. We're coming with our whole hearts. And Lord God, we want it to be the real God in the real us. Lord God, there's only one worthy of our worship. There's only one worthy to be valued above all, and that is you. And so, Lord God, we lift you up. We proclaim your name. We declare your goodness. Lord God, in the places of hopelessness right now, we we receive your presence to see a new future. Those of you who have been battling with hopelessness, can you do this for me? Can you... Can you turn your attention to his presence and can you ask him for hope? Those of you who have been who have been battling with feeling overwhelmed, incapable, feeling failure stalking you, can you turn your attention to him right now? And can you ask him Lord, fill me with your wisdom. Empower me. Empower me. Thank you, Lord. I hear the Spirit of the living God speaking to you right now. I hear him saying this, my son, my daughter, you were not born for failure. You are born for success beyond your wildest imagination. Take my hand, walk into a future that is filled with glory, that is filled with victory. My son, my daughter, you will walk on water. You will part the seas. You will feed the multitudes on minimum. Lord, because I am with you. I am with you. Do not look to the world for your sustenance. Do not look to the world to keep you safe. For I, the living God, am enough. I, the living God, the creator of the universe, am with you. You will lack nothing. You will lack no good thing. You will lack nothing. You will lack no good thing. Because I have conquered. I have conquered. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. My friends, there are some here, you've been battling with temptation. You, you don't want to give in to it, but you've given in. And, yet, and the shame has filled your heart. Listen to me carefully. Right now I'm asking you to become aware of His presence. Aware of His presence. I want you to hear the voice of your Father saying, come to me, I'm making you new. I'm making you new. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. See him come running. See him come running to enfold you in his arms. I'm with you, son. I'm with you, daughter. I'm with you, son. I'm with you, daughter. We're gonna do it together. We're gonna we're gonna win together. We're gonna win together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. friends from that place can we stand and worship there's a God because there's a God who sees you there is a God who knows you ah, 
give you value. And we want to give you and make you the place, put you in the place of providing in our lives.